Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. We're going to bring y'all into our huddle. You are in the Warriors Huddle with me, Bram, with me per usual, our master of all things sound, Maxime. How's it going? No Marcus today, but I am so excited to announce that rejoining us in the huddle, an 11-year vet of the NBA where he played with and against generational stars like Rick Barry, Bill Russell, Earl Monroe, Oscar Robinson, and Wilt Chamberlain, the voice of the Golden State Warriors since 1985, and my absolute favorite guest on this show, Mr. Jim Barnett. What's going on, JB? Bram, uh, you finally got me to sit down in the summertime. I, well, I, I still call it summer. I call it summer right up into game one that the Warriors start playing. So uh, September is always a gorgeous month uh, in California, in the Bay Area. And, of course, uh, when people come, they're going to visit San Francisco, and, and they're thinking about June. I say, don't come in June. It's foggy in San Francisco. That's, that's you won't right. like it. You come, you come in September or October, uh, and it's absolutely exquisite in San Francisco, the city. What's the old Mark uh, Twain quote? The coldest summer, I'm sorry, the coldest winter I ever spent was a summer in San Francisco. So I'd, I'd say you're yeah. on the money. Um, yeah. But I, I can't tell you how excited I am to have you today, Jim. And it's not just to show off my Mark Twain knowledge. <laughs> the, we have extra time today because, as you said, it's in the summer. But more than that, man, we need you. You are the perfect guest for today. Um, I'm not speaking out of turn. I'm not alone in saying that you very literally have narrated every twist and turn for the Golden State Warriors for me for the better part of three decades. I mean, when Cohan left, you were there. When Lakeup entered the picture, I heard from you. When Steph was ascending to his status, you were the person who narrated those tracks. I say that now because we're on the precipice of some pretty big changes, man. You know, and not just with the Warriors. You have a big change on your horizon as well. So you seem like the right guy to bring in here and help shepherd us through all this stuff. And let me. Well, I appreciate that. Sure. No, of course. I, I, I appreciate. I appreciate that. But I want to ask you something. Sure. Graham. So you went back to the Cohan era. Did you? Did you totally? Were you too young for the Jim Fitzgerald and Dan Finan? Uh, years, I think there were eight years there after they bought the team from Franklin Muley. Yes, that's too uh, early so I am. I am aware of it. <laughs> you're, you're but, and and no, I, this this is me being transparent, Jim, because you know how much I want to impress you. I thought about lying to you there. I'm going to be totally <laughs> honest with you. I, I came very close to saying yes, but you'd be able to see through it too quickly. So yeah, Muley was my first real memories. That that goes beyond me, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, you know it's it's funny because when I look back and. Uh, I've gone through four ownerships, and I actually started back in 85, 86. Um, the Warriors weren't, I, they, I don't even think they had a TV schedule, but all of a sudden I got a call, and there were 10 or 12 games being put on by a small little network, only home games, and I got a call from the assistant GM, who actually had been my, um, my PR director in college at the University of Oregon. And he called and said, will you do this? They, they paid me $100 a game. I think I've told you this before. And that's the last year that Franklin Muley, of course, I loved Franklin. You know, he traded for me. And he's an Oregon grad also. So we always had a nice common uh, friendship and a link together. Um, so that was the last year that Franklin owned the team. And in 86, 87, he sold it to uh, Jim Fitzgerald, primarily Dan Finan, then was the chief operating officer and president. And they'd come from Milwaukee because they had owned the Milwaukee Bucks. So they came here in 86, 87, and there was a little competition to who was good. And that's the first time I ever really applied for a job. Everybody had asked me. I'd done a lot of college games, et cetera, and I think I've gone through that before. So that was the first time I threw my hat in there, and luckily I got uh, hired, and, and I've been doing the Warriors ever since. And, of course, eight years later it was Cohen back in 94, and then the new regime, which uh, brought the Warriors three championships in the last five years. 
uh, with uh, th- this tremendous ownership group right now. So take me through. So if you've seen four ownerships, you're now getting ready to see your second arena. You've seen three championships. You've seen a lot of things. But this team is is in a transitionary state, right? We, we are getting ready to move across the bay. And you're getting ready to switch roles. Let me start with this softball. What are your emotions heading into next year? You, are you excited, apprehensive? I mean, where are you standing right now? You know, it's. I have to say, on a, um, it's different for me right now. I, it, it, because I'm, I'm making a very big transition from television to radio, and so it's kind of that kind of came as a surprise. And so I, I've got a lot to deal with. You know, I think the arena is fabulous. I was looking forward to uh, going over there and you know and keeping the same job. I am going to work the first game with Colin Azubuki and Bob Fitzgerald. Hmm. Uh, that's going to be fun. But then I'm just going to be essentially working for for you know radio 95.7 the game with Tim Roy. Um, and so, at any rate, it's um, it's it's I'm kind of uh, betwixt and between uh, yeah. because it'll be it'll be strange to go to the new arena and not be working there uh, on, on television. So uh, not that it's negative, it's just uh, it, it's, it's a transition, which we all have in life. And so it's, it's a little, everything is new to me. So, but I think the arena is fantastic. And, and the most thing I, I think favorable, besides being, it's gonna be number one world-class, there's nothing like it. This is, you know, this beats everything when the new garden opened up in 1968 in New York. I played in the old garden uh, my first year or two in the league. And, uh, you know, when the new one came out, that was, you know, that's the Mecca, but, uh, this is going to put everything to shame and they spared no expense and the expenses are all incurred and taken by our ownership, yep. uh, Joe Lake and Peter Goober, and they're paying for it, you know, it's a billion to a billion and a half dollars. And I, so I just love it that there's no tax money. No one can complain about all that. Um, they're doing it. It's, uh, self-propelled and, and so, I, 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 I think I told you this before on a personal level with uh, you, Bram, that uh, I'm just a, a little disappointed they didn't win a championship again and they could go over there with a championship belt, you know, going, yep. going, to, the, uh, going to the new arena there and so the Chase Center. And so uh, that, that's the only thing, but this still, this is a team, it, it's, it's not the team that it was, particularly, you know, because they've got to wait for, uh, uh, you know, guys to heal the main guy we're talking about. And uh, so, you know, but you've got, I, we can go through a little bit of the roster and talk about that. We, They're still going to be good. They're going to surprise a lot of people. I, so obviously we're going to talk about the Warriors. Before we get too far away from the comment, let me go ahead and fight back on the idea that uh, the Chase Center is self-propelled. I say that only because I went to a concert there just last night. I walked into the doors, bought myself a beer, and that beer gym cost me $17.50. Literally, one beer, $17.50. So, you know, not all, not all of the money is being provided by Lakeup, I found out pretty quickly. But I can also confirm that it was all first class and, you know, an amazing experience. But that number tend to jump out at me a little bit. Um, I would be... How, how, many, how many ounces was it? Was it a 16 ounces? Uh, no, it was 16 ounces. It, it wasn't just... It was a tall boy, and I made the mistake of buying it right when I came in. So they were taking advantage of my very obvious alcoholism. You know, they, they, they could see I needed a beer immediately, and so they just upcharged me. I bet you the person behind me probably only charged eight bucks, but it, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't the cheapest experience, let's go ahead and say. Um, but I'd be crazy, Jim, if I didn't follow up on the transition from radio to TV. Yeah. Um, because I, you're not going through this transition alone. It's a weird thing to say, but I feel very confident in speaking on behalf of Warrior fans. I, when I heard that we weren't going to have you on the broadcast anymore, I didn't like it. I, I feel out of place. There, there's a weirdness associated with it. And one of the things that made me feel better about it, to be perfectly frank with you, was a quote that you gave. Let me read that quote to you and then follow up. This is from you. Quote, I hoped I might work in radio after leaving TV. Radio doesn't show age. I hope I can do this for many years to come. I love the concept of radio not showing age, but I also like the idea, this made it seem at least, that the switch to radio ultimately was a long-term goal of yours. That this is, even if it was a surprise, this was something you were hoping for at some point. Am I misreading that, or, or is this the achievement of a goal? No, that's uh, definitely because uh, I did not want to all of a sudden retire from TV and just cold turkey 
go into retirement, right. uh, whether it be working as an ambassador for the Warriors or whatever. But now I, I can do a little bit of both there. Uh, I can certainly be, you know, when they need me to be an ambassador. We, we haven't talked about that, but I'm certainly always open to that, and I've always been very agreeable to uh, if they need me for whatever it may be, sure. uh, I'll be there for them. But I love being active with the games and broadcasting, and so I'm really looking forward uh, to, to working. And I hope it's for, for, you know, I don't know how many years, but I don't want this to be a short-term deal. Yeah. I want to keep doing this for quite a while. And, uh, you know, and, and I thought I looked pretty good as I turned 75 this year, but, <laughs> you know, another thing is, and you might have read a quote somewhere, now I don't have to wear makeup, which is kind of nice. <laughs> and uh, on the road, I don't always have to wear a coat and tie. Um, you can go without a tie sometimes. So uh, Wait a minute, Jim. Uh, we're not supposed to be wearing makeup on the radio? Because I've been wearing makeup for every one of these podcasts. This is uh, this, you know, not making me look yeah, very I'm good. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's kind of a nice thing. But no, I'm, I'm happy. First of all, I'm very grateful at my, at my age to be still involved with the Warriors all these years. You know, this will be 35 years. And I, I like being on the air, and I like talking about the game. I love the games. I sure. love the competition. I love the opponents. I, I love what's going on. So there are going to be so many changes this year, as we already know, with all the movements. Uh, there are going to be a lot of really good teams competing. And so I'm still involved with it, and, and I'm still traveling, which I like to travel. Right. I really do like to travel. So that's a bonus for me. But, uh, you know, I, there's, there's another quote when all this came out and hit, um, and I talked about how – the Warriors are on television are in really good hands with obviously Bob Fitzgerald, but Kalen Azubuki, whom I uh, I had a really a large part in introducing him to NBC Sports Bay Area yep. a few years ago, and uh, he he called me and I gladly uh, spoke in favor of him, basically introduced him to uh, uh, David Coppett over at uh, NBC Sports Bay Area, and they liked him, and it was an interview, and and he's taken off, and he's done well, he's extremely well-spoken. He's smart. He's glib. Um, he's relaxed. He's 35 years old. I, I hope he does it to age 75. He'll have a 40-year career on television, and that would be just an absolute bonus. And I think the Warriors are very smart to grab him right now. Um, I think people around the league might have been eyeing him, as a matter of fact. So I think it's a shrewd move. Uh, I understand nothing lasts forever. And I'm very, very personally happy and i really mean this genuinely i'm very happy for kalena to get his chance uh you know of all the people he'd be my number one pick uh to take over the, the job that uh i am now leaving and so i'm really thrilled about that i really am jim that's that's i i just want to add uh, you're talking about maybe him having a 40-year career and uh i'll just add my wish to that which is that i hope that the next generation my kids um, can uh, can feel like they learned as much about the game from Kalena as I feel like I've learned about the game from you. Um, it has been such a joy to 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 like to get your insight right on 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 the play by plays, and so especially now moving to be with Tim Roy. I mean, what a ridiculous combination! The way he sees the game combined with the way you see the game. I mean, I know uh, I, I know the the broadcast when you're watching the live TV. There's there's nothing quite like it, but. I'm kind of inclined uh, to tell you the truth to mute the game and put on 95.7 to listen to the two of you. I, I know that you and Tim have a friendship too, Jim, so I'm, I'm excited to hear how that plays out yeah. on the radio waves. Um, but I wanted to ask you before we got too far away from Kalina. So if, if you had an opportunity, if he came to you and asked for a piece of advice on how to handle TV or how to work with Bob, anything, what would you tell him? I would say, number one, just be yourself. Hmm. Because yourself is good enough. You know enough, you've played, um, be relaxed, and share. Don't try to impress people. I've always, try, I've always felt this way. I wasn't trying to impress people, let them know how smart I am or whatever it may be. Just be yourself and share your knowledge in a very simplified way so that people can understand. And all the little nuances, because there are a lot of nuances in basketball, and you don't really know all that stuff unless you played. And so share your experience and share your knowledge. Um, share from your heart and share from your mind, of course, and all of those things. But most of all, just do it in a, in a, in a kind of way that, um, it's, that you're sitting with the person in, in, a, in a sports bar 
watching the game with them and, and commenting and have, showing your emotions that way as well as you would watching on a television with, you know, 10 or 12 people around you, some of them friends, some of them newcomers, and, and just be like that and, and do it just exactly the same way. And don't be afraid to make a mistake. You know, don't be afraid to make a mistake. Just be natural, and people will love you for it. Uh, that, that is great advice, and I, I have been trying to think of the appropriate way to say this. So let me hedge it with, this is a compliment and is not meant to be a shot at anybody else. But if somebody had come to me and said, look, only one member of this broadcast team should be here next year, I sure as hell would not have picked Bob Fitzgerald over you. Um, so you know, I'll, just, I'll just keep that there. I don't want you to participate in that. I'm not asking you to agree with me, but I at least wanted to say it because it would bother me if I, if I didn't put that out there into the, uh, the radio waves. Um, are you, I mean, here, let me go first. So I, I was driving by Oracle when they were taking the words Oracle off the arena. You know, so it was literally, it was a physical embodiment. I watched them you know, slowly take down uh, this place I've been watching the Warriors play. And it got an emotion out of me. I was sad. You know, I mean, I didn't, I didn't pull over to cry, but I, I certainly felt it. For you, you've spent more time in that building than I have. You've got a deeper connection to this team. Are you sad at all about them leaving Oakland? Well, uh, it's been a home for me for 47 years. And, you know, I happened to get traded from the Portland Blazers in the summer of uh, 1971. Uh, so I joined the Warriors for the 71-72 season, and that's when they changed their name from the San Francisco Warriors to the Golden State Warriors, and they came over to play in the then Oakland Coliseum. <laughs> and so I, I haven't really looked at it, but I guess I played in the first game ever when the Warriors made that Coliseum in Oakland their permanent home at that time. So that was my first season with the Warriors. So I have a lot of history with that. It's It's, it's been great, and of course, you know, we... we Moved over here to the East Bay uh, immediately when I came down, bought a house and all those kinds of things. So, um, yeah, it's nostalgic. But you know what? I like, I, I'm not afraid of change. You know, sometimes you can be a little apprehensive about it. Yeah. But I've been around long enough. You, you know, Bram, my dad was in the Air Force. And so I always like to say that uh, my parents moved around a lot when I was a kid. Yeah. But I always found them. But I always found them. <laughs> so, but we lived, you know, I was born in South Carolina. We moved to Southern California when I was about two. And when I was three, we moved to Shanghai, China for a year. Wow. And it was before it was communist. Chiang Kai-shek, and I think I've mentioned this before, was in power. Uh, then Mao Zedong took over. So they, we had to leave in 1948, and they went communist in 1949. And uh, Mao Zedong was the guy. And so then we moved to... Uh, Orlando, Florida for a year. Then we moved to Albany, Georgia for five years. So I went to a lot of different schools. We moved to Southern California, Riverside, uh, the summer that I was going to be in the fifth grade. And so I went to a lot of different schools growing up. So I'm used to moving and things like that. And I'm, out, I'm also, by nature, very outgoing. Uh, you know, I'm very uh, social friendly. Uh, used to get in trouble with teachers in school for talking too much and things like that. Uh, that's the kind of kid I was. Yeah. I liked people, and uh, I liked being a little show-off sometimes, so uh, growing up <laughs> like that. So I, I'm used to change, and I'm not afraid of change, and I think it's good for you, and some, you know, and I like different things. I, I, I like spontaneity, you know. I've many times gone to Europe, and I mean this sincerely, flying out of SFO, and I'll fly to Munich, Germany, and I do not have a hotel reservation. What? You know, now if I'm traveling <laughs> with a wife, are now my girlfriend, since I'm not married anymore, uh, they, they feel a little more comfortable if they have something to go to. <laughs> I don't mind showing up, going to, I know some of the hotels, and, and I speak pretty, pretty well in German, because I took that in high school, and so uh, I'll walk over there and uh, take, you know, take the uh, train in and go to the area that I like, walk, and I know some hotels, and I just kind of like that spot in A to see if they have a room. If they don't, I go somewhere else. Uh, I like meeting people that way, and so it's it's kind of fun. So you're open to new experience. So you and I have a lot in common. This is not one of those things, Jim. I am so bad with new things. I, not only do I not try new restaurants, there's more than one bathroom at my house. I only use one of them because I don't like to try the other ones. You know, like I really? I am terrible at transitions. <laughs> 
That's amazing. It's, okay. It's, you know, it's, it's an unfortunate reality. Um, but one of the things I wanted to ask you about Chase, and so that you can enjoy this moment with me, we're also going to be testing Maxime because we gave him a little bit of homework two weeks ago, and we're going to see whether or not he remembers it. But the question I'm going to ask you is, if uh, Lacob had come to you, if one of the architects for Chase Center had come to you and said, look, Barnett, we, we know that you know arenas remarkably well. Um, you know, you are an ambassador for the team. We want your advice. If you could put anything into Chase Center, what would you put in there? And, you know, we will uh, we'll comply with that. And the reason why we are also testing Maxime on this, Jim, is two weeks ago, we gave him this exact question with the instruction of come up with some really good suggestions. I think he may have forgotten it just based on his, his facial expressions now. I don't think he has one. So we'll, we'll find out together, but we'll start with you, JB. Is, is there anything, is, if they had come to you and asked you, is there something that you would have suggested? I would say definitely give them a little more room at the scorer's table. Huh. Now, I know the broadcast booth is moving up, so I'll address that in a moment. But the scorer's table, they have to be on the floor. But they need, they need to have a few feet behind them so that the first row of seats, and I'm not talking about the floor seats. I'm talking about you know right, right behind the scorer's table, which yeah. is on the floor, and there's going to be a bench on either side, of course, and they'll, they'll obviously sell some of those seats between the bench and the scorer's table. The scorer's table should be a little smaller now since the broadcast uh, will move and they won't. And that opens up a lot of spots there. So it'll be just the scorer's table, but you need that announcer down there. Uh, you need the people who take, you know, who keep, keep track of who's scoring what, how many shots, turnovers, all those kinds of, of things. And so just give them a little more room than, than we had in Oracle because once in a while a beer would fall on somebody. I know I had beers fall on me uh, well, at, at Oracle Arena a couple of different times. And it's not fun, especially when it's in the first quarter and you've got the rest of the game to go. Sure. Um, and you can't talk so, about so, it because you're I on TV. It, yeah, God, that would be terrible. I, I think it's good also to move the, the uh, um, broadcast booths up a little bit, not too high. I, I've looked at it. I've seen them over there, and I think it's the perfect, perfect place for it. You don't want to be too high. I know when we went to uh, Philadelphia for the first time, we're on the end, we're on the end line, and we're way high, and you, you feel like you're not even part of the arena, part of the game, and it's very difficult to read even the numbers on the back of the jerseys. So you, you want to be high enough, uh, but low enough that you. Uh, you, know, you can read the numbers easily enough. Sure. And, and you do get a, I think you get a better perspective than on the floor. You can see what's happening in the game. And so I think you can actually be a better announcer if you're up a little further. And that's what I always liked about working with Tim. I could, and of course, when you're working radio, he's calling, he's the play by play. I can observe a lot more and see what's going on. Um, sure. Much easier than on the floor and much easier than doing TV because I've got to, with Tim, He's got to call the play-by-play. I've got to get in and out because all of a sudden the score, if somebody scores, you don't have time to say why or how it happened exactly because they throw the ball back in or going the other way. Of course. So you have to pick your spot. But at any rate, beating it up a little bit higher, I, I think that's very wise and very astute to put the broadcast booths up just a little bit uh, from where they, you know, uh, they are. And a little bit lower, I think, than where Tim, Tim's up about 60 rows. And I know when we go to Utah, I, I count the steps. And I believe it's 63 steps up to the top. And believe me, that's a little too far. Yeah, I believe it. Uh, I will. I, I shouldn't say this because it's only really underlining the fact that I've apparently become an alcoholic. I have no idea why I'm telling you this, too. But having gone to Chase last night, one of the things that impressed me was so. Whenever we sit as fans and we sit in the arena, most of these new arenas now have the cup holders that are in front of you, right? But those cup holders are either to your left or your right, and what that creates is that very awkward interaction when you're not sure which one is yours, and maybe you'll grab the other person, right. whatever it is. In At Chase Center, they've put it between you. It's between your legs. So there is no question at all, at all, which leads to my suggestion, and again, forgive me, Jim, for for showing my uh, my dependence on alcohol, but I went to Japan recently, and while I was out there, I went to a baseball game. 
And one of the things that struck me is when I first came up to the game, there was a giant table that had been set up by the team and a huge line. And all the fans were waiting outside of the stadium at this line. And what they had done is the team had encouraged them to bring their own alcohol so they didn't have to spend seventeen fifty on a beer. And then we're giving them glasses and then you poured it into your own glass and brought it in. That's what I would have liked them to do at goddamn Chase. They could have saved me that seventeen fifty, and it is what it is. But we have now, Jim, you and I have vamped long enough to theoretically have saved Maxime. So, I mean, and I'll, I'll, be, I'll always be honest with you. I hope he flubs this. I hope he's got nothing, but let's find out. Maxime, what do you got? Well, so that's... Jim, right, Bram has been instituting this new uh, cliffhanger at the end of the pod, so we'll probably get a question that I need to prepare for, for next pod. Uh, and, and the last time we did this, when I came on, uh, totally didn't have anything, and I got pretty ribbed for it. So I'm not about to show up twice with not having an answer. Does it feel like he's just vamping, Jim? Because to me it feels like he's saying nothing. <laughs> All right, listen. So um, I also got to visit Chase Center. Um, shout out to Bleacher Dave. Thank you for the uh, for the tickets to go to the, to the member game, or the member day, rather. And what I noticed was... Um, no, have you ever? There's right. There's there's a thing that the Mormon Temple does, right? And this is uh, this is a tangent, but go with me on it, right? I think we both know I haven't noticed anything the Mormon Temple has been doing, but go <laughs> you ahead. You haven't noticed the Mormon Temple? <laughs> it just go, sits go, up go, there go, on the hill, right? Tantalizing, and it's a place that if you don't know, you can't go into unless you're Mormon, except for one day before they christen the actual temple, where they open it up to the public and let everybody go in and check it out and. You know, wish that they were Mormon, I guess, so that you can go back. And that's how I felt being inside Chase Center that day, going through the Google suites, going to the downstairs, you know, all of the all of the areas that I know I will never have enough money to ever see again. All right. Okay. So do you have a suggestion of what to add in there? <laughs> yeah. My suggestion is, no, oh, no, not to add in. In addition, there's a couple of things that you could do. One, make a tower up the top of the Chase Center that's even higher than Salesforce. It's just, you know, that only the, the wealthiest people can get into. Or or a gondola that goes across the bay so that you can see people coming to the stadium, right? Because you don't necessarily know okay. why people are coming to the stadium. Jim, I know that you and Maxime are, are new to one another. You're just developing a friendship. So this may be awkward for you to answer. But on a scale of one to one, how terrible was that idea in your mind? <laughs> Uh, it's kind of interesting that if you want to put something up like the Space Needle on top of the building like they do have in Seattle, uh, that, that's, uh, I don't know whether it's feasible or not, uh, but, um, and, and it, of course, something that's all, there'd be a, I don't know what kind of a height restriction. If you notice that the Chase Center doesn't really stand, it's, it's huge in that area, it's very, very big, it's yep. enormous down there, but it doesn't go above... Uh, other buildings around, you know, that on either side of the street and so forth, they're all about the same. So yeah, that's right. Neat yeah. That way. But but a, a couple of observations. First of all, I finally get to talk to Maxine because I never, when he mentioned something before, I was going to go in, but then Bram, you um, uh, interjected. There, <laughs> I tend to do that. <laughs> it's, well, it seems like you're a little hard on Maxine. And <laughs> oh. I'm, I'm I mean, but Jim, my he's... observations are these. Go ahead. One observation: when the um, uh, the temple over here in Oakland does open up one day a year, uh, Maxine, to everybody. Uh, Bram is not able to go. He's already admitted three different times that he's an alcoholic. <laughs> so, uh, so right there, right there, I, I, they, they know it's no hope for him, and he's not going to become a Mormon ever. And, and by the way, uh, I'm joking about that because you're mentioning that, Bram, and I hope that you're being a little... Um, uh, I hope that you're putting spoofing everybody. Tongue in cheek. No, 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 absolutely. I, 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 yeah. I, I've seen you several times at Warriors practices, <laughs> of, you know, uh, opening day, you know, opening practice of the season, uh, preseason, what have you. And uh, I never smelled any alcohol on your breath. Yeah, thanks, Jim. <laughs> I, I, think, I think you're okay. I, I really appreciate it. You are absolutely right that I tend to be hard on Maxime, and I feel like me giving him crap for a trans-bay gondola that goes to Chase Center <laughs> is completely justified in this instance, but I'll move us on to things that are far more important. 
let me finally turn to the Warriors. Um, it's it's really early. You know, there, there's this roster. There's a lot of open questions. There's a lot of things for all of us to learn. And it might be a little bit premature to ask you specific questions. So instead of that, I've put together some kind of big, broad softball questions. Um, the first one has been discussed ad nauseum. Um, I'm probably overdoing it, but I need your take on it. Were you surprised that KD did not resign? No, I wasn't surprised. Um, I, I, I was kind of in limbo, 50-50, and I didn't really dwell on it. But I just noticed a change in his personality the last year from the previous two years. And he wasn't, he was a little more aloof. I felt yep. he was more aloof. Um, you know, I'm not in the locker room all the time, but I do manage, I, I, just, I on purpose go into the locker room once or twice before every game. I, 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 just to see and feel the atmosphere a little bit. I like to do that. But I felt, and, and nothing, you know, personal with uh, KD. I, I tend not to talk to the players anyway very often. Uh, unless it's a situation, maybe on an off day, if I see him on the road, then I might say something. But before a game, I try not to uh, uh, engage because uh, they don't need to talk to me. And so I just noticed that he was a little bit more, you know, when he talked, uh, he, he's going to talk to Quinn Cook. I didn't see him interact very often, but I'm not there all, you know, I'm not there for an yeah, hour and a half sure. in the locker room. I just, I just felt he was a little more, I'm pretty, you know, I've been around a long time. So I, I can read personalities and and read you know the the vibe that's going on uh, in the locker room. You know, uh, Steph doesn't he's quiet too, but he's also a little more gregarious and and he's more apt to to say something and and laugh a little bit too. And I think a locker room should be like that right. even before a game. It's okay to laugh and engage like that. I just felt that he was a little more aloof, uh, and I could just see a little bit of change. Uh, in his personality. Um, I hope he finds peace and what he wants. Um, you know, I read this recent article that he had, um, is it the wall street journal thing, I believe. And I've been, you know, cause I read, I read, I look at through Twitter every day. Um, and he, he mentioned all of that and how he hates the NBA and he hates all the stuff and people trying to figure out his personality and how he feels about Oklahoma city and things they did, you know, when he sold his house and, when he came back and all the abuse. Uh, but you know what? See, the way I look at that is everything's a trade-off because it's the NBA and you're a big athlete. The NBA people make the most money of any sport, any major sport. Uh, when you're making 30, 40, even now, the minimum or the maximum you can make, some people can make $50 million. Um, it, it goes with the territory. Right. And um, if, if you're going to be in that arena, in that circus, uh, which he called the NBA a circus, well, there's a trade-off to it. And the trade-off is um, you're going to be a target to millions of people. Uh, it's it's not like it used to be. Now, if you want to go back to the way it was and we could be anonymous and they didn't have social media and you could uh, uh, do a lot of things on the road, no one will ever know about it, uh, you know, you can go back and then you could, you could be making uh, – well, today let's let's put it in dollars. I made eleven thousand in nineteen fifty six. So let's say that's worth ninety thousand today. Right. You yep. can go back to making ninety thousand to a hundred thousand dollars, one hundred and twenty thousand uh, dollars in today's market, yep. and get you can make a living and do that that way uh, if you want to do that. But uh, if you want to avoid the circus, but it's you know what everything everything in life is a trade off, and so I don't feel sorry for NBA players today. Um, I don't resent them also, by the way. Um, the more money they make, it's enabled me to make more money because I make a hell of a lot more money broadcasting than I ever did playing. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, talking, I'm talking two to three times as much as I ever made in my best year uh, doing broadcasting because uh -huh. it, it took me seven years to make $50,000 per season playing in the NBA. And that's after I'd averaged 15 points, 16 points a game for a couple of years and over 18 a game for a year and got a $10,000 raise. I'm not bitter about that. Don't get me wrong. I was happy. Uh, you know, I'm, I've always been happy and, and just to be involved in the NBA. So, sure. um, 
That was a long answer, and I wasn't. I could have said, "No, I wasn't surprised it's all the same leaves." It was gold. I agree with you, and I love the idea that if you are going to take the benefit that comes with the increased attention that the NBA has and all the social media, and you know, mainly the the money that that means, you also have to take the detriment, and you know, that's that's just part of the show. If I decide to go swimming, I'm going to get wet. It is what it is. Let me ask you this one. Um, you know, so the transition's been, we've lost KD, but we welcome in D'Angelo Russell. Um, I haven't watched a lot of D'Angelo Russell's game. What I've seen from him have been highlights. I haven't had the opportunity to actually watch a live game with him all the way through. For you, and again, this is premature, but just based on what you know of him, does he fit in with the team? Are you excited about the addition? I mean, how, how are you feeling? I think um, anybody that come here comes here is going to fit in with the team because of the tradition that they have and the players that they have, you know, Stephen Curry, Draymond Green, the, the, those guys that are solid, that have been there, that have won championships. Clay Thompson, when he comes back to the surface again. And so I, I think it, the kind of culture you have here, it helps shape a player. He could be a maverick. And, and let's, let's, let's look at uh, uh, last year, in fact, when you, you've got um, a, a center coming in from Sacramento, DeMarcus Cousins, who didn't have the best reputation, um, but you know he's going to adhere to the principles and, 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 the, and the flow and the, the status of the Warriors the way they are. He, he can't be um, an egomaniac and just take over and do what he wants to do. Right. And so, and I think you saw that, him, him conforming a little bit. He's still gonna be independent and what have you, but he's gonna conform more. So I will say this. I've always felt that uh, D'Angelo Russell was a great one-on-one player, and he would go his own way. He didn't need. He could go one-on-one, make it, create his own shot. Uh, he he can drive to the basket. He can score. He knows how to score. He's not a great, great shooter like uh, Stephen Curry. Not that they're in, they're out there, but uh, you know these. For, for I would say he's kind of a streaky shooter. But I, I think what you're going to do when I see him in the backcourt with Stephen Curry. I think you're going to get 50 points a night from those two players. <laughs> and when you get 50 points a night from two players, um, it's, it's a good thing to have. Yeah. It's a, it's, that's a nice ace in the hole. And I think you're going to get 50 points from those two players alone. The only apprehension I have about those two is they're rather, rather small in the backcourt. Right. And I'm, I'm concerned about their defense. Neither one is a great defender. Stephen's better than he used to be, but he's still not a lockup defender. He still is, is. I even say this, you know, he's fundamentally uh, at times he still goes back to bad habits, trying to get into a position, to make a steal, losing sight of his man, things like that. Uh, not moving, reaching to try to get a steal, sure. uh, reaching when a guy's when he's beaten on a play and he picks up a foul, even if he already has three fouls and it's early in the third quarter. Uh, things like that. So he's got to be a little more judicious. So I'm a little concerned about them at the defensive end. The offensive end, they will find ways to score because they can both do that. They can both do that. They don't have to depend on other players to do that. We've seen Steph evolve uh, and go one-on-one a lot more than he could five years ago. He just didn't have that ability, but he's worked so hard to get that to work on his craft. So I'm, I'm really, this team's going to be able to score with those two guys. No doubt, no doubt about it. I have got a whole bunch of other Warrior follow-ups, but I'm so excited about our next section. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump ranks here. Maybe we'll, I'm, I'm sure that we'll head back and I'd, we'll pepper in these other West, or Warrior questions rather as we get along down the line here. But I am going to flip us over to a segment that is long overdue, one I've been looking forward to doing with you for years, quite honestly. It is called Storytime with Uncle Barnett, and the concept is simple. Uh, I have a number of names here in front of me. They come both from the Warriors and from your career as an NBA player and analyst. And what I want to do is just run some of these names by you. And after I've given you a name, I want you to give us whatever thought, whatever story springs to mind. Just unfiltered, let her fly. And the first name I want to give you is Monte Ellis. Monte Ellis. Undersized, but don't ever underestimate him because his heart it was a lot bigger than his height. And he would come out and extreme, quicker, quicker than you might give him credit for, and he can burn you. 
can beat you off the dribble. He knows how to. He learned how to score inside. Uh, erratic from the outside at times. Not a great shooter, but a streak shooter again that would electrify you. And just because of his sheer size, when he'd have those big scoring nights, uh, everybody would start rooting for him. Yep. Um, and and he um, wasn't. He he was not afraid of anything. Not afraid. Not intimidated. Nothing intimidated him. He thought he could always do it. I love the heart that he had. I thought of him when you were describing the probable defensive backcourt problems the Warriors might have with D'Angelo and Steph. And what I thought of specifically was that media day right after they had drafted Steph in 2007 when they came to Monte and they said, look, we won't be able to play together. We can't play in the backcourt. And, you know, he he was right defensively, and it'll be those same concerns uh, with D'Angelo. Also, in related news, Steph turned out to be a two-time MVP and, you know, heart of a championship team. But I digress. Here's another name for you. Sharunas Marshallonis. Fearless and feared by every player <laughs> in the NBA. What do you mean? And well, everyone knew. Everyone knew his strength. Everyone knew his brute force. Everyone knew that if he had gone into boxing, he could have been a heavyweight contender <laughs> for the championship of the world. <laughs> quick hands, quick movements, strong legs. Great defensive player could muscle you, but he could keep his keep he could keep the man in front of him. Uh, tough to get by him, and a competitor that played with a rage on the court that would scare opponents. And no one ever messed with him. No one ever messed with him. The word got out uh, that he would absolutely. You know, I, I told you this before. We used to drive home from Sacramento together because. You know, we didn't have to wait for the bus. He lived in Walnut Creek, and I live in Orinda, and so I could drop him right off where he, you know, it, it, where he needed to. I'd come right to his house uh, at, at different times and what have you. But at any rate, and I also like to drive fast, and he used to love to drive fast. He told me about stories over in Europe and Lithuania when he was driving, and uh, you know, he had a little sports car here too. So you know, he didn't he didn't mind if I hit 100 miles an hour. On uh, you know <laughs> I I five or I'm eighty coming over uh, from Sacramento, which once in a while we did. Um, <laughs> there's there's nobody in front of us, and, and I, I pressed my luck with the police with the highway patrol. But at any rate, <laughs> so uh, Sharunas was uh, a down to earth guy. I used to play a lot of tennis with him in the summertime, and when I uh, could play tennis, and my knees were were in bad shape as they are now, and so he'd come out. We had clay courts at this tennis court here in Arenda, at this tennis club. And he loved clay because he grew up on clay. And I told you this before, he had a forehand with his, you know, he's left-handed, and his backhand was a right-hand forearm, forehand. <laughs> he did not go with a backhand. He just switched the racket to right-hand, <laughs> left-hand. So he always had a forehand. You could never hit to his backhand because he never had a backhand. <laughs> and I never beat him in a set. I mean, a set I would, but I never beat him in a match. I mean, an I ambidextrous tennis of- player? I, mean, I don't even know that people could do that. You know, that, That's literally a move I've never heard of. <laughs> he was ambidextrous, and I love playing We had a lot of fun. Uh, Jim, we got another name for you, and I, if you if you don't mind my pre- presenting it to you in the, in the context of a, a little story myself, which is that um, – in that same Chase Center Grand Opening, uh, they clearly laid out little Easter eggs for everybody to find if they spent long enough in the stadium. Like, if you made it all the way up to the top, um, they would give you a dessert card. Or, like, at one point, I found my way into a random room, and they were handing out uh, Warriors hats that said Chase Center on them. Um, so they didn't say anything about that up front. You had to, you know, explore it on your own. And so right at the end, I made it all the way down to the court, and I and I walked into to a back room, and, um, and there was a really nice usher there, and, and she said, hey, there's a there's a player inside um, that you should go meet. I uh, I think his name is Chris Butler. And uh, and I was with my buddy who's a, also a really big Warriors fan, and we were like, man, who's Chris Butler? And he's like, you know, we say, okay, cool, thanks, wow. And he's like looking him up on his phone. He's like, it's a, a it's a defensive man who's now retired for the St. Louis Blues um, in hockey. And we're like, yeah, I mean, cool, you know, that's sort of a random thing. Maybe he was just there checking out Chase Center. Uh, and so then we turn the corner, and it's not Chris Butler; it's 
Chris Mullen, <laughs> um, which is uh, substantially more exciting for, for both of us. Uh, and so anyway, so then we, we get in line and uh, and we end up getting to take a picture with him. And he was just so polite and kind to everybody. And I just said, hey, thank you for doing this. This is really cool of you. Um, and he had a big smile on his face for us and for everybody else. And uh, I was just blown away by his professionalism and uh, and was very happy that it was Chris Mullen and not Chris Butler. Did so. you ask Mullen whether or not he had taken a gondola there? <laughs> I didn't. You did. uh, but I was I did ask him where his hockey stick was (laughs) fair enough well the name itself Jim I'm very interested to see where you go with Uh, Chris Mullen not only was one of my favorite players growing up but I mean as a a kid who played basketball growing up and leaned almost primarily on my jump shot as the way that I was a utility to my team Mullen was the guy I always watched so what do you have on him what springs to mind well one of the greatest shooters in the history of the NBA without question one one of the absolute great great shooters um, and and you can never take that away from him. He just uh, probably you know he's got to be one of the top ten shooters of all time and a great competitor. I know he, from memory, I believe uh, he averaged over twenty five points a game for five straight seasons. Yeah. Now, it, I I know how hard and how difficult that is to do. Believe me, I never did it in one season. Uh, you know, I, I did it for over half a season, and, and I averaged around 23 at that time up in Portland. Uh, for uh, at the All Star break, I think I was averaging uh, 22 to 23 a game, and yet you, you had to work really hard. I had to work really hard to do that, and kind of be a gunner, and maybe a little selfish at times. But Chris, uh, no, he, he just had an incredible outside shot, um, and, and a great competitor, and he knew how to cover his liability as a defensive player because he couldn't keep anybody in front of him. But he was the best I've ever seen at chasing and coming from behind. And the guy would go up to take the shot and he would, and Chris is behind him. So he thinks the, the offensive player thinks I'm home free. And Chris would reach up and steal the ball from him from behind yeah. and, and take, he's done. He was so adept at doing that. And it was really remarkable how he could do that. Plus he was a great pa- passer. He saw the court he, he knew how to limit his liabilities because he wasn't blazing fast. We know that. He wasn't fast at all. He wasn't quick, offense or defense, but he could read the defense. He knew how to use a screen. He knew how just to get enough separation from his defender. He, he was the little nuances of the game. There's never been anybody any better at reading the nuances and uh, as an offensive player in the offensive system and as, as, the, as uh, the defender that is defending him. He knew the little nuances of his man turning his head. So he'd just take one step sideways, catch that ball, and the guy couldn't recover. Right. He, he just read everything perfectly. And it, which reminds me, by the way, and I'm going to finish with this on Chris, my favorite team of all time, because I thought we were going to talk about that a little bit uh, from Oracle and leaving there, is the 91-92 team. And Run TMC. that's when... The, I'll tell you, that, that team was 55 and 27. And th- this is, I believe, I believe that uh, Mitch Richmond was already gone at, at that time, correct? Yes. Yes, he sure was. Yeah. yeah. And, and um, unfortunately, but uh, they, they, you know, they had Mullen, they had Hardaway, um, they had Marshall Onis, uh, that, that's right, they had Billy Owens, who was traded. And, but that team, well, they were 55 and 27. And they went out, they lost in the first round, I believe, to Seattle. But, boy, they were fun, fun to watch. Um, it, it just was really a, a very, very fun team that lit it up, beat a lot of good teams that year. Uh, they, as I say, that didn't get out of the first round. Uh, but one of my favorite teams. And, you know, I, as I say, Frankie Muley's uh, last year with the team, and then when I joined uh, the organization with Fitzgerald and Finan Group, and that those those first couple of years where they went in the playoffs, those are some of my favorite teams because yeah. uh, when they, they they got into the playoffs and they beat Utah the first year that they had the new ownership uh, with Fitzgerald and Finan, and then they went on and lost to uh, the Lakers, I guess. But anyway, they and then a year or two later they beat um, San Antonio. And that was a big upset. So those little years in the in the late '80s and going into '90, and then of course that '91 '92 team. Those those were special. Then then going to the, so to wrap that up, then we go to 2007, and we believe because uh, there's a lot of things to to forget 
for 13 straight years, they were down through the 90s and what have you. Yeah, well, the, the thing I remember about that 91-92 team, and it, it came back again in, in 2016 for the 73-win team and 2015 when they won the championship, was just the joy. You know, when, when that Run TMC team came out, it wasn't just the way they played as far as their success on the offensive side of the ball. It's how much they enjoyed playing with one another. And we didn't see anything like that again until Steph and the boys went out there and, and kind of redefined what it meant to be successful on the floor. And that was also true of We Believe. I loved the We Believe team, but they weren't so much joyful as much as they were uh, vengeful, you know, we we were coming out yeah. of this team where we were incompetent for so long. When we had players like Mike Dunleavy who had talent but not a lot of passion, and then we trade them out for people like Stephen Jackson, for Al Harrington, for these you know really guttural, emotional guys. You know, that's what I remember associating with the We Believe team more vitriol than anything else. But you know, I, I'll tell you, I was going to ask you when you think back on Oracle. Is there one game, like, is, it, is there a best game you thought that you watched there? Is there a memory that sticks out? I mean, what, what are you going to keep with you yeah. as you go to Chase? Definitely game six against Dallas in 2007. Mm-hmm. When, they, when they beat the Dallas Mavericks, at home, they clinched the, the series sure. at home. Yeah. If I, I think, I, I'm not looking at anything right now, and I think, uh, forgive me if I said it was wrong, but I think it was game six. I think they beat him four games to two. I think you're right, too. And and it's it's when Dirk punched down. the hole in the ground, in the hole in the wall, right? Uh, walking yep. back. Yep. Because they shut him down. Yep. And it, he turned his back, you know, he had back, he's trying to back down against a smaller player, and then he turned his head as he started to make the move, and Stephen Jackson would That's come right. in from the wing yep. and knock the ball away, steal the ball, <laughs> and then you go the other way. And, and of course, that's when Baron Davis, who wasn't a great shooter, he was a you know, an off and on shooter. But when he got on, he, he could will the ball into the basket. Yep. He could take a, a three pointer and he, he could will the ball, you know, his, his will, his incredible will to get the ball into the basket. And he and Jackson, you know, they, they played, you know, basketball together. Uh, and it was fun to watch. It was hectic. Uh, it was you know, unpredictable, but really fun and pretty damn effective. Right. Right. Um, well, and he was such a great blast of competency. You know, when we traded for him, I mean, I, I don't remember. I think Speedy Claxton was our starting point guard before we brought in Barron. But just having somebody who not only had talent, but just like you're saying, who forced his will on the game was such a great change for us. You know, we, we never had anything like that. Um, which leads to this. Uh, best player you saw in Oracle? Looking back, you know, I mean, what, what, what was it? Jordan, was it? I mean, who, who was the best player you saw play? in East Oakland? Well, I was in the Jordan era, so um, I, 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 he didn't have great games here. In fact, his second year in the league, he broke his foot mm-hmm. at Oracle Arena and missed a lot of the season. I think that was his second year in the league. But uh, I'm a big Michael Jordan fan. And so, I, I, you know, people. I don't want people to forget about Michael Jordan. And I'm afraid, you know, in 20 years... People are going to forget about Michael Jordan. They're already, I guarantee you, there are a lot of people that say, oh, well, he's, he's not, he was never as good as LeBron James. I love LeBron James. I love him on the court. I love him off the court. I think he has a lot of integrity. Uh, you never hear anything bad about LeBron James. I, I like him a whole lot as a person. I like him as a player. He, he's he's a, a guy that can just beat anybody, but he's not a great skilled player like you just said let's let's take you know 500 shots from three-point range he's not going to make there are a lot of guys that can make a lot more than, than he does and plus here's the thing lebron doesn't work hard on defense yep. okay he doesn't work on defense michael jordan played both ends of the floor he absolutely played both ends of the floor so i've got to give credit to that as well as being uh incredible for the size i think he's the most dominant player to ever play the game when you're talking about his size. I couldn't. Because I've got to say, the most dominant player was Wilt at both ends of the floor. Wilt over over Jordan. But you can't compare them because Wilt was 7-1 in the 16th and and, uh, could do anything he wanted. You know, I mean, he averaged 50.4 points a game. One year, he averaged 27 rebounds per game. He averaged 24 rebounds a game his career. Uh, So, you know, he was the most dominant player. That's insane. With his size, there's never been anybody more dominant, including LeBron James. He, well, just, he, 
I loved him. I loved him, and I still love him. Jordan brought that mental fu game too. Um, and for me, this isn't fair. My age group. I grew up viewing Michael Jordan as a superhero, not as a basketball player. So, I mean, when I'm talking about this, it's not some objective. You know, looking back, it's kind of this subject of how great he was. But the story that sticks out of my mind, and forgive me for boring you with this, but they were at Oracle, um, and a Bulls player was shooting a free throw. And Jordan was obviously lined up, and he was next to, I think, Chris Gatling. I don't remember who it was. I think it was Gatling, but it was somebody of Gatling's ilk, a yeah. player who he would know, yeah. but, you know, not an all-star. And on the first free throw, the, the guy shoots it, and Jordan reaches over and playfully pulls on Gatling's shorts. And you could tell, looking at Gatling, that it was the most significant thing that had ever happened in his life. You know, he, was, he couldn't have been happier. Michael Jordan was playing around with him. And the next free throw goes yeah. up, and this time Gatling reaches down to return the favor, to, to become Jordan's friend. And when he does so, he reaches down. Jordan, without missing a beat, steps behind him, gets the rebound off the, uh, the missed free throw, dunks it in, and immediately goes to the other side of the court. And in one flash second... Everyone who was watching that interaction realizes that Jordan had just completely mind-screwed Gatling. You know, it was a totally yeah. pointless game, but he had identified that moment to exercise his mental dominance, and it's those kind of things that I've never seen any other player do. You know, he was such a yeah. psychopath, he brought that psychotic need to win to every free throw, like not just to games, to every moment, which is what set him apart. You know, I mean, that's, that's why no one will ever be in the same category as he is, as far as I'm concerned. Well, I, I agree. But, Brandon, everything is relative. Yeah. When you're talking about bamboozling Chris Gatling with a mind game, yeah. you, you've got to put it in perspective. That might be working on a seven-year-old. <laughs> yeah. so, okay. okay, fair enough. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Because he hasn't been, you know, there have been a lot of crazy things happen to Chris Gatling. <laughs> Jim, I, I know I've been keeping you remarkably long. I love this stuff. Um, and let me return back to the Warriors and ask you two final questions here. And we're going to crescendo. Here's my first. Um, I, I, this is the perception of a neurotic fan. But I cannot believe how much the pundits have already turned their back on Golden State. From my perspective, all the yeah, sure, we lost Kevin Durant, but we added another all-star. And there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic. But... I'm not looking at this objectively. I just told you. I'm looking at it as a fan. For you, you look at them. Is this a playoff team? Oh, yes, I think it's a playoff team, without question. Escalate yeah. it up. Talent, which leads... talent, char talent character, uh, um, the, 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 the resolve that they will have. Uh, with you know, Draymond Green is really important to this team. And you know how he's got the new contract. He's bought into everything. Um, it's it's no, I, it, it's definitely a playoff team. I just I can't yeah, I was like I can't see anything different. And they'll get Clay back um, when Clay comes back, and he's going to come back hell earlier than anybody's ever come back from an ACL injury. We know that. <laughs> Heck, he wanted to keep playing when he tore his ACL. That's right. Did shoot the two free throws. I mean, you know, he's 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 like a robot. He's unbelievable. He really um, is. You have to love him. And no one can ever say a bad word about Clay Johnson. And everyone knows he's a fierce competitor uh, and just loves to play. So when you got, you got three scores like that, uh, I, I will say this. I hope Draymond continues to improve his offensive game. And we've seen that, he's, you know, because he's going to, he's going to get a lot of shots this year. Uh, that was the nice cushion that, that KD gave you when he had Thompson Curry and KD on the on the floor, you, you, you can't double team those guys right. because they're going to burn you. And that was a luxury that the Warriors had the last three years. So uh, I'd like to see Draymond, be, and he's improved. He's improved his offensive game. Uh, he's got he's going to get open shots. So anyway, we'll see how that goes. I I hope the, I think the bench is going to be better. Uh, tell oh. you the truth, I'm hoping I'm hoping that Jordan Poole is going to work out. He's a pretty confident kid. From what I see and what I've from seeing him play and talk, um, he's not a great, great shooter either. But he, he's, I think he's going to be a scorer for you. And I, I like the acquisition of Willie Collie Stein, and I'm, I'm absolutely excited as heck on a personal level and for his level, uh, for his own uh, um, uh, condolences for everything. I don't know. And I, I think it's great they got Kevon Looney back. Yeah, I, me I too. Just, I think that's a real important key ingredient because he's solid. He knows how to play. 
um, and he never hurts you on defense. So there, there are a lot of good things to, to go. Um, I'm going to see how Willie Collins' time uh, comes around. I'm, I'm waiting also, and, and Alec Burks. You know, I always liked Alec Burks. Uh, he, can, he can all of a sudden, uh, he can have big quarters for you. He can get going so and play defense as well. So I think they're going to be okay. I, I agree with you. It seems to be a really interesting mix of surefire superstar talent and then a series of kind of lottery tickets, people who really could prove to be a lot better than what they have already been able to do with their careers. And you put them in this environment, you know, with people like Steph and Kerr and, and this championship culture, it should really give them an opportunity to flourish. Last question, Jim. Who do you view as the odds-on favorite to win the title this year? Oh, my goodness. I, I'm going to be very honest with you. You can leave this on. I haven't even thought about that. <laughs> I really have not looked at all the rosters. I haven't. I haven't bought any magazine that has all the so forth and what have you. Uh, I do know this. There's a lot more parity um, in, in, this, uh, in this league right now. I'll, I'll say this for you. I believe that the Brooklyn Nets were doggone good even without Irving and Durant. Yep. And now I, I think they were an up-and-coming team. They're well-coached. They've got some really good players that fly under the radar. We don't know about them so much because Brooklyn's been, you know, they had all those great players when, you know, the, their owner thought they were going to win championship after championship when they got Joe Johnson and they had Darren uh, Williams from Utah, uh, and they had uh, Kevin Garnett way past his prime. Right. Uh, and, and, and so on and so on. So I think they're legitimate now, and I think they're a team that's going to come out of the East. I think they're going to be, wow. be the Eastern Conference champions. Jeez. I will say that. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's unexpected. I, I, think they, I think they'll beat Milwaukee. I, I, I think they can beat Milwaukee. I am so unsure of how this year is going to play out. I'm much like you are. I haven't had a shot to go all the way through each one of the rosters. If that happens, I would be surprised, but I won't be shocked because I feel like it's really hard to to have any concrete guesses at this stage. But there is something I really wanted to tell you, and it's actually twofold. It's two thank yous, Jim. Uh, the first one's easy. Thank you for coming on today. I, I mean, I, you know, you've heard me say it a million times. I'll say it again. You're my favorite guest. It's not close. So I loved having you today. That's always true. But way more importantly, man, thank you for what you've done on television. You know, the, uh, I am looking forward to having you on the radio. This is only a transition. There's going to be another thank you coming for everything you do on that medium. But I would be crazy if I had this opportunity, have you in front of me, and then didn't say this. Thank you, man, because you don't know what you have done for millions of Warriors fans for the better part of 30 years. We do. We appreciate it. We're going to miss you on those airwaves. And thank God we're still going to have you with Tim Roy and 95.7. Well, I'm very thankful for your comments. They uh, mean a lot to me, Bram. Uh, you guys are special. You're, you know, this Warriors huddle, and uh, I love hearing from you. I can't always accommodate. You know, I, I put you off this summer because I don't like to think about basketball in the summer. I don't like to go 365, 24-7. Of course. Uh, I, I just, I've got other things going on in my life and stuff and on a personal level. But you're a class guy. And Maxime, I, I'm sorry we didn't get to talk a little bit more. Uh, I appreciate what you do for uh, uh, this podcast and everything. And it's a pleasure coming on. It's a pleasure. You know what? I'm, I'm just so – I've told you this before, Bram. I'm grateful. You know, I, 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 I'm too old and too close to the end to be ungrateful for anything, to be pissed off about anything, to be <laughs> resentful over anything, to have uh, – uh, grudges against anyone or anything or any any uh, anything at all it's all good everything is go and green light and go and good uh because the reality is in five years and i hope they're they do come i don't want to become as fast as the last five have gone but i'm going to be 80 and that's that's scary and then 85 and i'm appreciative that i have my brain yep uh am i as sharp as i used to be uh maybe not maybe uh but you know sharp enough and um it's, it's a privilege, and it's a privilege still to work for the Warriors uh, on a championship team. And I, you know, I still have great promise that they're going to be a surprising, surprisingly good team this year. Jim, the privilege is ours. I mean, it really is, man. You know, I mean, it, it's not. I, I, 
you know me well enough now to know that I would end this thing with a compliment anyways, but this one I, I know is shared by every single person who is listening. I mean, I just know it. I know it to be a fact. Um, so I, I won't belabor the obvious. I won't make you feel awkward. I'll just say okay. thank you. You know, and anytime... Anytime you want to come on this show, you know, it's, it is a open door. You can host this damn thing if you like it. Um, and, and be ready for me to be bothering you nonstop during the year or two. Whenever you can join us, we'll take it. Look forward to seeing you. And uh, the gratitude is reciprocal. Thank you, me. man. Thank you. Have a great night, Jim. We'll talk to you real soon. Okay. Hey, uh, thank you. Thank you, man. God, I love JB. I know we say this all the time. I know basically I just told it to him for the last 10 minutes of the podcast, but there is something about the episodes that we have him in. They're not only fun, they're like reassuring. Oh, I, I totally agree. And because he's such a, a voice that we've all come to know as part of the Warriors, it yeah. feels like it's, yeah, we're, we're a part of the Warriors for that brief that's moment. A, that's exactly right. Now, did I use the word alcoholic too many times? I mean, I think like three, four <laughs> times. Like the first time, he's probably like, that's funny. Second time, maybe he didn't notice. Third or fourth time, he might have thinking it was like a call for help. You know, yeah, like, yeah. Do we have to worry about that, you think? Or, oh, I, think or, I mean, I feel like he turned it into a PSA that was like, yo, if, if you need help, get help. Yeah, and let me know right, yeah. Yeah, right now. Maybe you need to not talk about it publicly. Do you think that was part <laughs> yeah, of the PSA? I think that was, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 All right, well, go back and just go ahead and bleep the word alcoholic. If you don't mind. <laughs> okay, just, okay, cool. You know, I mean, in, in fact, if you guys start hearing bleeps, know that it wasn't the word. Okay, no, don't bleep it because now they'll know what's there. Uh, this, <laughs> this is all screwed up. Huge fun, you guys. True every week. Certainly true this week. You want to let us know that we did a good job, bad job, any job. With Barnett, all of your feedback is welcome at warriorshuddle at gmail.com. Our Twitter account is at warriorshuddle. Um, we remain on Patreon, but we have a much bigger announcement today. I am proud to announce that we have been picked up and are joining a podcast network by the name of Big Head Media. Um, there's going to be more details on that to come, but if you're the type of listener who wants to hook us up, I'd like to impress Big Head Media. We just started on there. Our last couple of, of uh, episodes have popped up on their website. If you're listening to this on iTunes or something, stop, go to bigheadmedia.com and just press play on there for us. You don't even have to listen, but if it makes it seem like we're bringing all these listeners to them, maybe they'll come to us and say something impressive. I don't know. I don't know how this works, but wanted to let you guys know and, and ask for your help uh, with that in mind. Go Warriors. And hopefully we'll see you in a couple weeks. Good, good. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.